Inside the Post-Dispatch. Hi, Liz. How are you doing this week? I'm doing well, doing well. I'm excited that it's finally November. I am too. I have a birthday coming up, but I also just kind of generally love November. Have you turned your Halloween pumpkins around so that they're not Halloween decorations anymore? No, I am delinquent in that since Halloween was on a Monday this year, but I am already ready for the like mad dash from Thanksgiving or like vague autumnal decor to Christmas. So uh, that I usually am pretty much like day after Thanksgiving, the house is Christmas fied and I'm looking forward to that already. As long as you wait until after Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm fine with any, anybody waiting until after Thanksgiving to do the Christmas <laughs> decorations, but you, you got to get Thanksgiving in there before you turn to Christmas. I totally agree. Um, and you have a birthday. My husband's birthday is in November and he is very strict about like, please let November be November. Please don't let like early November be Christmas yet. I just want to have a birthday before Christmas. <laughs> so we do, we observe that in our house. We are joined this week by Katie Cull. Um, Katie is covering courts right now for the paper, but the main reason why we asked her on this week is because she was one of the team of reporters and photographers who helped the newspaper cover the um, school shooting at Central Visual and Performing Arts and Collegiate School of Medicine and Bioscience. Um, that shooting happened on October 24th. So as we're taping this, it happened last week. Katie, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast with us. Thanks for having me. You joined the paper in May 2021. Um, and do you have a, a background in St. Louis? Did you grow up in St. Louis? No, I um, I grew up in the Chicagoland area um, and I went to school at Mizzou. So I spent a fair amount of time in St. Louis when I was in college going to concerts. And obviously uh, my boyfriend Austin is from St. Louis. We've been dating since college. So we would come here a lot to visit, um, especially my senior year. So I was decently familiar with St. Louis even before I moved here. And Katie, correct me if I'm wrong, you were at a paper in Springfield, Missouri, before joining the Post-Dispatch? I was. I immediately after I graduated uh, from college, I interned for the Associated Press for about six months covering the Missouri legislature. Then I moved out to Wyoming for about a year and a half. And then I moved to Springfield um, for about two years. So yeah, I'm, I've kind of been all over different sized papers, different uh, types of communities for sure. So that's uh, great because you have a diverse background and understanding of of people and and maybe why they believe different things and maybe, you know, what it's like to live in different parts of the country. So uh, that was a great experience. Living in different communities is definitely a great way to to get to know people better and understand and get to network with other people and how to talk to people who have a different background than you do for sure just to turn to what we're here to talk about today. Talk a little bit about um, how you first found out about the shooting at the school and what your role was kind of that day in the coverage. Sure. Um, so before I covered courts, um, I covered police and then I covered business for a little while. So I do have a background where I covered breaking news. Um, so Basically, when I saw on our um, Slack, which for those who don't know, is like a messaging platform that we use in the newsroom, uh, I saw that 
that there was a shooting at the school. And to be honest with you, you know, there have been a couple of false alarms in the last couple of weeks, um, couple of months, I would say actually. And so I just was kind of watching to see if it turned out to be anything. Um, a lot of times, thankfully it's not. And so, but once I saw that it was legitimate, I, I basically just messaged my editor and I said, okay, what can I do? How can I help? We had our breaking news reporter in the morning, Kim Bell, and our police uh, reporter, Dana. They went immediately to the scene um, out by the school and a lot of parents and students were gathering in the parking lot. Um, Our photographers went as well. Uh, I think it was David Carson. Uh, and Robert Cohen, they went to the scene. And then I got a call from my editor, Alex Valentine, who said, I need you to go to the hospital. We've heard that several um, students have gone to the hospital. You're going to go to uh, BJC and Austin Hugole is going to go to uh, SLU because people had been sent to both. So I immediately left the courthouse and went over there. And to be honest, there wasn't much going on. There were some police officers milling out front um, of BJC. And I looked over at Children's too. And then I said, okay, well, there's not a lot going on here. I said, but I just saw on Twitter that, um, or maybe, I think it was Twitter, that uh, some, they were sending some students over to Gateway STEM. So I went to Gateway STEM, another magnet school. That's off of, golly, I don't remember. It's over by, off of King's Highway, kind of, uh, down the road. (laughs) And so I went there. I heard that they were, the school district was telling parents to pick up their students there. They had transported the students who weren't picked up in the Chinooks parking lot to Gateway STEM. So I go to Gateway STEM, and immediately I'm looking for parents to talk to, to ask what's going on. And I found a father who had talked, who had spoken with his 15 year old son who went to collegiate, but he looked distraught. So I was asking him if he would mind answering a couple questions for the newspaper. And uh, he said, sure. And, um, and so I spoke with him about his son and he, his son was okay, but we just spoke about what led up to him finding out about the shooting and and how he came to be at, at Gateway. And then after I spoke with him, I got his phone number and then I went over to um over to the side of the building that I heard that the that the central and collegiate students were. They were around back. So I walked around back to see if I could get any students and teachers there. And um the police told me I couldn't stand there, so I went back around front. I listen, you listen to the police. So I, I went back around front and I just kind of waited to see if anybody walked out. Um, and so we caught a couple of people, uh, a couple of groups of students and parents who were willing to talk about just their experience. Um, and I'm very grateful that they did because I know that that's a stressful and traumatizing situation. And then after I got those stories, I called into the paper to our editor, David Hahn, and he wrote down what what I said, took notes based on what I was saying, and then he put that into the main feed of the story that we had well underway by that point. By that point, I believe they had already done the first press conference. So we, we knew quite a bit at that point, but I was just kind of adding color and adding testimonies from people, essentially. So that was that was pretty much what I did on the first day. And Katie, how do you tell us, talk to us about how you approach those conversations? You know, this is, as you mentioned, traumatic. This is something that people are still living through and processing in 
in the moment that you're having to ask them questions. So as a reporter, uh, again, how do you approach that with, with sources? Yeah, luckily, I would say I have quite a bit of experience with this at this point. Um, so that's, that's in some ways lucky because I'm not as afraid of doing it as I used to be, <laughs> you know. You have to just approach people kindly. I try to speak pretty softly and slowly at first. Um, I don't, I try not to have a frantic energy. (laughs) Um, And I just kind of, I ask, I say, I introduce myself. I say, my name's Katie. I'm with the Post-Dispatch. And I show them my notebook and my pen. And I say, I'm writing a story about what's going on right now. And we're trying really hard to inform readers about what's happening. Would you mind answering a couple of questions? Um, And, you know, most of the time people say yes. And I think that people in the broader public would be surprised at how often people say yes and how often they're totally willing to talk. Um, If there's a, a teenager or... A young person, I try to ask their parents first. I try to approach the parent um, and say, would your child be willing to talk to me? Now, you can't always do that because sometimes, like a lot of people who showed up at the Schnucks first, sometimes you can't do that. But, you know, if kids are 17, 18 years old, even 15, 16 years old, they can think for themselves. You know, they can decide whether or not they they want to say something. But I try to be respectful and, and approach the parents first if they're there and 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 then ask their children. But, you know, like I said, that's not always possible. But that's usually how I I approach it in those situations. And so you said that people might be surprised at how many people in a situation like this after the situation is over want to talk to a reporter. Was that the case at Gateway STEM with some of these students and their parents? Um, Some people told me, no, they didn't want to talk. And when people say that, I say, okay, that's fine. Um, You know, I'm thinking about you guys. Um, I hope that, I hope that, you know, you get through this. Okay. You know, I try to be kind and then I walk away and I leave them alone. But for the most part, you know, especially when people are processing a situation like that, sometimes it helps to talk about it. And, um, and sometimes I'm the vehicle for that, you know? Um, and, and so that can be good. And, and I think in a situation like that, something that's been so talked about across the country, I think people want to share what that's like, you know, they want, people to know that this happened in our community as well. And if you do it in a kind, respectful way, a lot of times they don't have a problem sharing. And and that's certainly, and that's not only in this particular situation, you know, I find that when I walk, when I walked up at crime scenes and somebody had just been shot, you know, I, I found that when I reach out to family members of people who have been killed, you know, and, and, People do want to share, I think, on the whole. I think they I think they really do. And they want to they want a chance to be heard and have their story heard. And so we provide that opportunity for people. And if they don't want to take it, we say that's totally fine. I understand. And then we go away. <laughs> Katie, I was just gonna ask you, you know, how do you as a reporter, I think that sometimes when we don't for people who don't work in newsrooms, uh, maybe there isn't this consideration. But how do you process having to cover something like this that is so traumatic, that is so devastating, and that really is having this effect on our community where you live too? Yeah, I'm pretty good at, in order to do this job, you have to be at least to some extent pretty good at compartmentalizing. 
when I was going to the school, I kind of had this sense of dread a little bit of like, oh gosh, you know, this is going to be really hard. But I get there and I kind of just go into work mode. And that doesn't mean I'm not kind. That does not mean I'm not compassionate. But what it does mean is that I'm trying to do my job. and I'm going to ask the questions I need to ask. After the fact, that's usually when it gets harder. You know, um, I came back and saw another one of our reporters in the newsroom looking really upset. And I went up to them and I said, hey, how are you doing? You know, and we just kind of had a minute to talk about it. And that really helps in the moment, especially when you're dealing with something that is just so shocking and upsetting. And then, you know, after afterwards, I I do yoga usually once, twice, even three times a week if I can. Um, last week I did it four times. So um, and but that's the way that I kind of help myself process. And I've had to learn that the hard way. You know, I've had to learn and work through bad habits and bad ways of coping um, in order to get to that point where I found a healthy outlet um, to use. But yeah, it, it just takes time to figure that out a lot of times. But especially in this community where there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of crime, unfortunately, you really have to figure out ways to make sure that you are taking care of yourself. So that, that's some of the ways that I do. But then that helps then when you have a really shocking, especially you know, um, dramatic situation like this, it really helps to have established those coping mechanisms previously. Um, but yeah, it takes time. <laughs> Definitely. That was one of the things, um, I was in the newsroom that day and I don't want to get too specific about it, but I have a, a family member who attends collegiate was not at the school that day, but obviously has friends who were there that day. And so it really hit me hard. Um, and Katie, you might have been talking about me when you said you came in and um, gave a coworker, you know, we're talking to a coworker. I know that there were several people who were checking in with me. So that really helped that day. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear you say that. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's important to to talk about that because again, you know, we do live in the St. Louis community. We are just as devastated when there is crime and violence and, and death. Um, but as you said, Katie, that's a piece of the job is being able to still inform the community and even more so be a resource, right, for the community during those really hard moments. So, you know, thank you. And I know our, our whole team just really mobilized. And as you said, photographers, reporters, covering every facet of it, doing really difficult work, uh, but at the end of the day, to be that support system and resource for the community. Katie, how was it working with the rest of the team? As you mentioned, we had several photographers out there. We had several reporters out there. How were you guys collaborating? Yeah, um, well, I was kind of by myself at Gateway. Um, a lot of the people were over at, over at the other um, thing, but, you know, I mean, as information came in, and I would say especially in the days after that first day, I know we haven't really gone beyond that first day yet, but um, especially beyond that first day, I mean, we all share everything with each other. And like, I'm reporting this story. What do you know? You know, Kim Bell and I were texting back and forth quite a bit and calling, um, especially in the days afterward. And the photographers, you know, I know from people, from reporters who were on the scene, I've heard that they were you know, the photographers would take a photo, talk to somebody, 
and then say, hey, you need to come over and talk to this person. They have a really good story. So we all work together. And that's not just on this story. That is truly on any story in this newsroom. We are all working together on it. Um, editors, photographers, reporters, we are all um, totally in it together. Um, and I and I think that's essential, especially when you have a big news event like this. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit, as you said, about the days following. So uh, you co- you had coverage uh, published this weekend that essentially was one big follow or what we would call a follow, but maybe an update of events as they unfolded this week. And, you know, how do you approach something like that? How do you approach piecing something like that together? There's a lot of information that came out between Monday and when the story published over the weekend. So how do you choose what is the most crucial um, to be sharing with readers. Yeah. So on, ooh, okay. My time is a little bit off, but I think it was Tuesday afternoon. I got a call from, I think David Hun, who's our managing editor, um, who was saying, we want to do a narrative of what unfolded that day. And when you're talking about a narrative in journalism terms, what you're talking about is not a news story where you have a really hefty, timely element, even though obviously this was very timely, but um, it's not like a hard charging news story. This is where you are really telling a story, you know, almost more like you're almost thinking as more of like a fiction writer, even though you're telling obviously a nonfiction thing, you're telling the story through people's eyes, but you're really weaving the tale. So he said, I want you to work with Austin, uh, Hugo A, and you guys are going to work together and piece together this, this story. And so basically what then Austin and I did was we tried, we read out all of our coverage that we'd done. And by that time, it was quite a bit. And we said, okay, what are we missing here? What voices do we really want to hear from in this story? And who's going to be, who are going to be the people that can really take us through the entire event? And it was actually a pretty short event when you think about it. It was only a couple hours probably from uh, start to finish. The investigation obviously continued, but, you know, the main meat of it was was really just that day. So, you know. And, said, and if you hold on just one second to clarify, I'm so sorry, but the, the shooter was in the building for maybe 15 minutes or so before police confronted him and, and shot him, Right. Uh, not even 15 minutes. I actually think it was only like 10. I mean, it was really short. What I mean by the right. meat of the event is the the school day starting to the shooter being confronted by police to the building being evacuated was only right. about, about, you know, two hours. I mean, from, yes, yes, correct. So it was a very, the event itself was even shorter with a matter of minutes. Um, but from from the perspective of storytelling, that was kind of what we wanted to focus on was a couple hours. So um, so we said, okay, who do we want to talk to? We want to talk to a teacher probably who you know was close to the the event. Uh, students, obviously, you know, we had some students in the paper, but we wanted to really dig in and really understand you know deeply what they remember from the event um, in a way that you kind of can't capture just in a few minute interview on the street right as they're evacuating. Um, so we needed students, uh, the principals, and the security guard who first confronted um, the gunman was a big player in this as well. So those were kind of our thoughts at first. Okay, we need more students. We need a teacher. So then we set about trying to figure out how to make that happen <laughs> um, and how to find those people. And 
just to let read, I mean, this was a very short turnaround. It is, it was very fast to get this done in three days. Um, and so we had our work cut out for us. So, I mean, the first day it was just France, not frantically, I'm never frantic, but methodically making calls, <laughs> going through the list, figuring out who we can get to talk to us for this story. And on that first day, Austin had a great interview with, with a teacher who was there and heard it kind of from the beginning. And she was a great example. She ended up being at the top of the story. Uh, her last name was Filippi. And so he had that great interview. I had a great interview with a student, Charlie Hagel, who was on the second or third floor uh, at the time of the shooting. And so we knew, okay, great. We have a great teacher voice. We have a great student voice. Okay, now let's try to get the principals. And so on Thursday, I sat down with both principals for about, I think it was an hour and a half. Um, and their stories were just heartbreaking and very moving. And from that point, I knew we really had a, a, a great story, you know, really filled everything out. And, um, and then on Friday morning, I spoke with the security guard and I interviewed, I also interviewed some more students on Thursday who didn't end up making it into the story, but it really helped inform the rest of the story, if that makes sense. It helped fill out some of the details, some of the timeline. And then on Friday, we basically spent the entire day putting it all together with with Austin and I early in the day. And then later, David Hine and Alan Ashkar helped us edit it. And we were here until really late on Friday, uh, right up until deadline getting it done because it was a, it was a complicated story. It was linear in some ways, but kind of difficult to stitch together all those stories that sometimes were happening at the exact same time as one another. And so that was kind of, that was really the challenge is, is the, uh, the laying that out. And Austin was really good with that. He, because I did some of the, the longer interviews, I was pretty much fried by Thursday afternoon. I could not, I did not want to talk anymore. I was exhausted. And so he kind of was the brains behind the structure of the story. So that's kind of how that all came together. Well, the story was wonderful in the, the details that it shared and um, really it helped answer some questions, I think, for readers about what happened in the schools and how the schools are, are connected, not just the buildings, but the staff and the students. And so I, I learned a lot reading it and I had you know, read more or less all of our coverage up to that point. Um, so I really hope that our readers learned a lot as well. Was there something that, that really struck you about that story or what people told you that you want to make sure readers know or understand? I'm just really thankful that those people were willing to talk to us and to share that, you know, especially Principal Steele from Collegiate. Um, and, you know, he was there basically um, the entire time with Alexandria who ended up dying. And I just, his bravery in telling that story was astounding to me. Same with Principal Shahid. I mean, I just, I can't even, as a reporter, sometimes you're just sitting there like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe that these people are telling me this, <laughs> you know, I can't believe that they're willing to share that, but I, I hope that it moved people um, and kind of told them something about it that they wouldn't have otherwise known. 
But I think that Principal Steele really, um, that was just so powerful and so sad, so sad. Um, and really, um, that was probably the toughest interview of the bunch. He and Principal Shahid, I interviewed them at once. That was probably the toughest interview of the bunch. And I can't imagine um, what they went through, really. So, yeah, I mean, that was that was probably the most striking thing. Um, but everybody's experience. I mean, that's just so traumatic. But also, you know, the heroism, like Officer Yancey, I mean, he literally confronted the gunman when he came into the building and basically risked his life running around warning people about this person coming. I mean, that's incredible. You know, that's incredible. And that's an incredible story as well. So you kind of have this mix of tragedy and heroism and all of these things kind of mixed into one in the story. And I think that's just really what made it so powerful. Yeah. And I mean, our reporting generally last week, I, I agree with you. I felt like it reflected that, you know, we heard the story obviously of um, the health teacher who gave her life to protect her students in the same classroom, a student who opened a window and was injured and hospitalized, but helped his classmates be able to escape um, during a really chaotic and traumatic, scary moment. Um, I agree with you. It's, you know, the balance between how everyone stood up to help one another, um, but also the tragedy, obviously, of, of two lives being lost and just the trauma that those students and teachers uh, will now live with. And Katie, I know you talked about it earlier with, um, you know, how you process these types of things and do yoga and things like that. And I just want to remind everyone listening that the um, there are resources available, mental health resources available and we will um, link to those on our website, stltoday.com, underneath this episode as well. So, um, you know, if you feel like you need help with processing what everybody went through, I mean, I can't emphasize enough how this event rippled through so many other schools in our area. We know that we had, um, unfortunately, the FBI was talking about copycat uh, threats and things like that. And I know that there um, are people who struggling with this. So please make sure that if you need help, that you reach out to get that help. There's um, no shame ever in reaching out and saying that you need help. And I know that um, that's one of the things in the newsroom that we've all kind of been asking each other, how are you doing? How are you doing? Because we, we know how difficult this can be to cover. Um, so thank you, Katie. I know that you're the only one <laughs> of a, a large team of people who did this, but thank you for coming on the podcast and for all your work on this. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to do it. And thanks to our readers for reading and supporting our work, because we quite literally could not do this without you and do these important, meaningful stories without you. So, yes, as Beth said, Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. I really learned a lot uh, just about the work that you put in and the whole team put into this story. And we would love to have you back on the podcast as you're now covering uh, St. Louis and federal courts for the Post-Dispatch. I love that. Thanks.